1: What is up on a Friday afternoon? I am Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey Rights Podcast. Coming at you live on a mailbag Friday. It is the people's holiday. We have a packed show for you. We have your mailbag questions as well as Skybox NASCAR guru, Mark Harris. He explains the sport to me like I'm four. We've got the Daytona 500 this weekend. What goes in? to handicapping NASCAR and why it's not necessarily analytics and numbers and all that nerd stuff that Skybox makes you, ball, you all money on um, with football and basketball and why he's kind of found a uh, some glitches in the system when it comes to Vegas just not paying attention to certain things when it comes to NASCAR wagering. Really interesting conversation whether you are into NASCAR or not. It won't, made me want to understand NASCAR more. Got the Daytona 500 coming up this weekend, so uh, maybe you'll flip it on on Sunday. I don't know. Maybe you're an F1 snob like me. I'm just kidding. I'll probably watch a little bit of both. But good conversation with Mark. Good dude. We had him on last summer, I think before we made the Rebel Grove transition. So uh, for those of you that are, I guess, newer listeners, it'll be your first time hearing him. But uh, he was great, and he had a wheel in this camera shot the entire time. The man had to get to an eye race when we were done recording. So great stuff from Mark. Funny dude. And uh, really interesting. He uh, knows his stuff when it comes to NASCAR. It was really fascinating stuff. So before we get to that, though, I wanted to remind you. Podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports. Who is Skybox Sports Fix? Well, I'm glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that Skybox Mark does not use, but has consistently led them to the top of the game sports handicapping industry. Need to check them out. If you are wanting to get into NASCAR, they're giving their picks away for free for a couple weeks, as you'll hear Mark explain in a bit, because of some new car technology. That's where Skybox always wants to take care of their clients. You know, you have the new car technology coming out in NASCAR. Mark was sat there and thought, hmm, I don't want to kind of charge for picks when I'm still trying to get my bearings on uh, kind of what the new equipment's going to look like for NASCAR this year. So we're going to give them away for free until I feel like I can beat Vegas. How about that? That's why they're the best in the business. They're crushing it in college basketball. Last Wednesday, As of last Wednesday, they're up 100 units year to date. That's uh, a lot, or excuse me, 70 units year to date, and a hundred entered this past basketball season up 100 units over the last two seasons. Uh, that'll hunt. That seems good. Check them out. They're going to have a picks package that fits your price range, whether that's month long, season long. You can do, you know, sports centric, whether you want to go all sports. I'd recommend just going with the year long all sports pass, it's going to pay for itself and then some. Look, if you're a degenerate, you are never going to profit in the long term. Off your own brain and your own knowledge—it's just not going to happen. You need the professionals. Skybox will consistently lead you to profit over a long period of time and allow you to create some supplemental income for yourself while watching sports. What could be better? Check them out: SkyboxSportsPicks.com. If you use the if you buy the NASCAR package, hit the promo code NASCAR. My listeners, if you get the promo code NASCAR, get 30% off that package for the season. All other pur- pur- purchases, I cannot talk today. Use the promo code Rippy, R-I-P-P. R-I-P-P and you'll get 20% off any purchase. Check them out. That'll let them know we sent you. They're just giving away free money before you sign up for their picks where they just print you free money. Skybox, America's handicapping website. I just made that up off the top of my head. That sounded awesome. We're going to go with it. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. You guys know the deal. Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's. It's just a good vibe every time you walk in there. You know you're about to get something awesome, that you're going to throw on the grill, the smoker, what have you. You know when you step into LBs, you're about to have a great time because whatever you're purchasing in there is going to be delicious food, presumably shared around the company of great people, and having a good time. I just made all of that up on the spot. Maybe I've turned a corner when it comes to ad reads, but if you're a Right subscriber, it's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free, new, free newsletter from me three to five times a week. We just had a lot of baseball thoughts go out in the Friday newsletter earlier today. And discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's a hell of a way to kickstart your weekend for $25. Bucks. Then go show him proof of subscription. He'll get you set up. Then go find your own favorites, crab stuffed mushrooms, all kinds of different cuts of meat, fresh sausage. I love the ribeye sausage. He's got some apple sausage or something going going on right now. I think I saw the other day. Maybe I just made that up, but I'll go check it out. Make sure I'm I'm not a liar. Filet burgers are awesome. Uh really just the best place in Mississippi to get meat. It's really that simple. So check him out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Soon to have a second location in the central Mississippi area out there in Gluckstack coming this spring, right? For the uh nick of time in the heat of SEC play of baseball season. That's peak grilling season so be on the lookout for that check them out lb's proud sponsor of the show for quite a while all right here we go lead off hitter rippy Wright's podcast lfg shirts checking in again consistent mailbag contributor if Ole miss were to make one facility improvement academics or athletics what would you build they could build a wedding reception venue out in right field like they did i was wondering on the internet earlier on friday What's the vibe at that place? Is anyone Do we know anyone out there listening that sits in that thing? Is it Sig's Inside? Is there a cash bar? Is the band playing Brick House? What's going on with the tent? I want to know everything possible about the tent out in right field. I don't understand it. I was told by Chase earlier today that apparently people pay – that's not a student's thing. Apparently people pay a lot of money to sit in said tent behind the students. I don't really understand that one. I'm very confused about this uh, facility out there in right field it's the closest thing to area 51 that you're going to have in Oxford I just don't understand anything about it like it doesn't make any sense so if someone that sat out there or maybe sat in the student section and could give me like a quick keen eye on what the hell is actually going on out there I'd appreciate it as far as a serious answer to this question if Ole Miss were to make one facility improvement academic or athletics what would it be I would do the football stadium if money weren't an issue I would make a new football stadium I saw that they you know kind of not kind of, they released the renderings of like what they're going to try to do with uh, Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. Because right now, if you look at Vaught-Hemingway, it kind of looks like a cross between a spaceship and a hodgepodge of random-ass football renovations through the years that don't really make a ton of sense. I think it's probably time to strip it down and make an uh, entirely new stadium. But again, also understand that these things are not free, or not cheap, certainly (laughs) not free. And so I understand them trying to make the best of it and renovate it. And what you're going to see, as you saw in the renderings, is more luxury seating and honestly going smaller now what do you think what how could Vaught hemingway get any smaller it's not necessarily in that case smaller i just think that's the general trend of stadiums and in general as the home viewing experience particularly for a sport like college football gets better is you're going to see smaller stadiums with more luxury and uh viewing experiences and amenities and i think that's what Ole miss is trying to do with vaude hemingway i don't know what the capacity is going to be when that's done but they're putting like suites kind of below the boxes on the home side and there was something else that they got going on there that I can't remember but I think that's probably the trend and so I think that's kind of I wouldn't say hot on the topic of athletic facilities but they're trying I think that's the next big project up and you can see why because it badly needs it and you know people aren't going to games at the same rate they were this was a pre-COVID problem too we've talked about this a lot this is not some you know novel nuanced take that I have here but like that someone else has not already discussed, but it's, it's hard going to games. Like, you know, if you don't have a place to stay, you're going to shout out a bunch of money for a hotel. If you go out and have dinner. It's going to be a lot on Friday. Or if you even if you're just going over the game on Saturday, concessions are expensive, parking's expensive. And you go through all of that just to, and when the alternative is to watch it on a, you know, $200 55 inch TV in the comfort of your own home, when you have beer in the fridge and whatever food you want to eat. And then as soon as the game's over, you just, flip it off and go to bed like everyone at the college in pro level was struggling with that and so I think there's a common theme amongst these new stadiums is it's a lot of luxury comfort seating you know if you're going to pay for the experience to go watch a game in person which I still think there is much value in that clearly people are not just going to stop going to games you know stadiums schools whatever are going to have to make an effort to make people comfortable and make them want to come I think the day and age of you know some luxury seating and then just 70,000. And I know that's a large number for Vaught-Hemingway, but just in general, your college stadium, metal bleacher seats. I think those days are are dwindling because no one wants to do that. Um, It's just too much easier to watch the game at home. So that was a long and winded answer to your question. Uh, You also followed it up with a great idea. Why would they not host fraternity and sorority uh, functions at said tent? Uh, We need to know the dimensions. I need a, a, a spy, a mole, eyes on the ground to explain to me what that preposterous looking thing is in right field and why it makes any sense. That's true. Maybe it becomes the new castle Hill on campus or that's technically off campus. I guess that's why you can bring booze out there. So, you know, who needs to take that uh, drunken bus ride back and forth down six for sorority and fraternity foremost, just throw it right there. You got a wedding reception venue right there. You could do it as a games going on. How about that for a half baked idea? While well, of these stadiums, not had like this area you can rent out and do like a wedding reception what would how sick would a wedding reception be during a saints game or during an old miss game just saying sounds dumb probably is but i've had dumber ideas all right keeping it moving caleb sailors whose ass should be redder from a flaming hot seat five or kermit the answer is still five but with each loss i guess the picture gets a little bit murkier because it's an interesting situation that basketball has put itself in because I've I hit on this, I guess, a little bit on the Thursday show or one of them earlier this week after the Tuesday night loss. I don't think Keith necessarily wants to fire Kermit, but it's getting to the point where like if they lose Saturday, or most of you listen to this, you know, today or whatever it is at Georgia, I'm not sure how much of a choice he has. I mean, this shouldn't be that bad. I mean, he had that kind of cringeworthy quote where he says this is a NCAA tournament team fully healthy and it's like dude you're down a true freshman and then Robert Allen a Samford is have never no huge real sample size at the you know high major level like it's it's not like you're completely decimated by injuries and all they had to do is be confident in it This not bottom out right they get the road win at LSU three weeks ago or whenever that was and that's where the game where you lose Ruffin but you get Joyner back immediately after that and what Joyner's doing Five weeks removed from back surgery, playing thirty-something minutes a game with a 33-point game mixed in is is pretty remarkable. But again, it's all it had to do is not bottom out. Like would, would you expect them to win at Florida? No, not necessarily, but they had a chance and it you know offensively challenged and they lose in overtime. But losing a second time to that Missouri team, that's going that's certainly going to be looking for a coach at the end of the year for a season sweep after they beat you by 25 on your home floor a month prior and then losing at home to a South Carolina team granted yes on a buzzer beater but you were up six with four minutes to go and didn't have another field goal until you had to tie it up the Ole Miss was up six with 423 left and then went four minutes and 22 seconds without another field goal until the joiner layup tied it at the end like it's it it, it's bad it's a bad product but like you you need if you won those two games in the rest of the year it's kind of like okay you just write the ship and you know, it's make or break for him next year. But if you lose on Saturday, if you're Ole Miss, you're probably going to lose nine in a row to end the season. And that's something you can't sell. And, you know, it's, I guess what would be the selling point if things hadn't bottomed out for Kermit? It's, okay, well, we have Ruffin, we have Morrell, we have Joiner. And we can build around that next year. Well, the problem is as that they haven't been building around it, right? Their evaluations and the transfer report have been bad. But, hey, you'll get one more crack at it. Well, if you lose nine in a row, I don't know if you deserve the chance to get make another crack at it and make it right. And then Kermit goes in the press conference and throws Morell under the bus for the way he played defense on the, th- on the possession that led to the half-court shot and in the inbounds pass. That's a guy you need to keep around next year. Probably not worth it to throw him under the bus in an irrelevant conference game in February. But, hey, that's just me. But with all that being said, I still lean that the Kermit gets another year to fix this to where Mike, I don't know for certain that it's Omaha or bus, but man, it certainly feels that way barring to them getting to game three of another super and something crazy happening. So I think Mike's seat is certainly hotter. If you ask me who thought their seat was hotter, the answer is definitely Kermit because I'm not hundred percent sure Mike Bianco has the internet. So I don't know. Should be an interesting couple of weeks for uh, both the baseball and the basketball program as we kind of wade into this thing. Um, so keeping it rolling. Here we go, Brent Ferguson, regular mailbag submit uh, question submitter. Over under zero point five home runs for Ben Van Cleve. Uh, apparently we've made this a thing. I guess this got some pretty good traction in terms of feedback for a uh, for a question. Um, I'll go over. I would say Ben Van Cleve gets him a home run this year. The most intimidating looking singles hitter in college baseball. Ben Van Cleve, not necessarily. Uh, a threat to stretch it to the gap when he puts one in the gap, unless it gets to the wall. So very dangerous singles hitter. I'll say my man, Ben Van Cleve gets over a half a home run. I think he gets his first collegiate home runs this year. Keeping it moving here. Justin Bush checking in. Have you ever used the Traeger pellets to smoke a cocktail? What? Uh, Am I missing something? Smoke a cocktail? That's not, uh, well, I don't really uh, smoke that many meats. I'm not very, or that, I don't even know if that's proper English. I uh, I don't grill a ton. I live in an apartment kind of in the middle of the city. Tough for that. to happen. I do kind of like grilling when I have the chance to. I have not advanced to the Traeger. I don't know what smoke a cocktail means. Um, I've seen that vaping shit where you can like inhale alcohol. I've Not to say that I've tried that or anything, but uh, I've seen that. I know different kinds. Of, I don't know what smoking a cocktail means. So no, I've never used it. Traeger pellets to smoke a cocktail. Is that a thing? Someone's going to have to chime in. I'm sure I'll get a follow-up on that. I have no idea. All right, here we go. Justin Bush if checking in again. If you were to take the pills from the movie Limitless, what skill would you want to perfect? Uh, I have never seen the movie Limitless, but I did a little bit of research on this to where Basically this guy takes some pills and like is like able to like perfectly recall things and is able to analyze things at a ridiculous rate of speed. Sounds like Adderall and steroids, but what have you. What skill would I like to perfect? I'd like to become a scratch golfer. How about that? Probably a pretty lame one. But like if we're not talking superpowers here, I'd probably like to be able to do that. Uh probably get better at this whole podcasting thing. Feel pretty confident in my writing skills, but probably get a little bit better at that. Maybe write a book. Um But, yeah, I'll go become a scratch golfer because I don't have much of a better answer for that. Does that count as creative problems? I don't know. Bubba Watson always says he's an artist with paintbrushes and all that bullshit because he hits a power power fade and can uh, hit a pretty solid draw as well. So, sure, that is, uh, I guess, my answer for that one. I feel like I did not reach the full potential of that question. Poor man's taft checking in here. Regular mailbag listener and question submitter. He's always taking us down a wild road and he didn't disappoint this week. You ready for this? I was walking down the aisles of ACE hardware one day and came upon the custom keys, many were college thing, UM, Ole Miss, Mississippi state, and USM keys upon further examination. The Southern Miss key was in fact an Iowa Hawkeyes key. Who do you think is to blame the local ACE hardware or the corporate office? Uh, I'm going to go to the schools because I am pretty sure that someone double check me on this. I'm pretty sure there was some litigation not too long ago between Iowa and Southern Miss over how similar their logos look. Now, could this come on down on the haze? Like, could this be Ace Hardwell's everywhere's fault thinking it's Southern Miss and they get Hawkeye or the manufacturers like, Hey, these idiots won't know the difference. I don't know, but they are similar enough that I'm pretty sure some sort of court filing was filed about it. So I don't know whose fault that is. Um, You know, are you sure it was an Iowa Hawkeye? Are you sure your eyes weren't deceiving you? I don't know. John Ashton Hicks checks in here. Hot take for the Ole Miss 2022 baseball season. And if you had to guess who is the team MVP after the season is said and done, I mean, the easy answer is Tim Elko. I think he's going to hit at a ridiculous clip. You know, what he did last year, leading the team in home runs, despite missing the games that he did, then coming back and playing the remaining whatever it was, with one ACL was uh, pretty remarkable. So I think the answer is uh, Tim Elko. You know, that would be pretty valuable for Ole Miss, right? If he has an all-worldly, all-monster, like, monster-ish type of season, that means Ole Miss's offense probably lived up to its potential, barring something, you know, pretty catastrophic. Now, if you're asking, like, maybe what would be the most valuable for Ole Miss if there was a team MVP and who won it, I'd say Derek Diamond. Um, if Dare Diamond becomes a you know legitimate Friday night guy in an SEC that's a little bit in flux from a pitching standpoint, that's probably the most valuable thing Ole Miss could ask for, because I think they'll be okay at the back end of the bullpen. We'll see on John Gaddis. We'll see on Jack Washburn, Drew McDaniel, who ends up filling the back part of that rotation. Still not convinced it won't be Washburn at the, uh, when it's all said and done. Ole Miss is a Friday guy away from being a pretty complete baseball club. And so for their sake, I think they probably hope that it's Derek Diamond, but if you're making me guess who it is, I'm going to say Tim Elko pretty easily. Jacob Gonzalez would be another one. His numbers as a true freshman were pretty stupid last year. I read a nugget in Chase's notebook earlier this week that they are tinkering with his swing. That seemed outrageous to me. I mean, it was a small note in Chase's notebook about Gonzalez, but uh, the guy that hit you know 340 in the SEC with a thousand OPS as a true freshman and was first team All American, uh, probably let's not tinker with that guy's swing. Uh, until he goes like 0 for 60 or something. I mean, I'd probably just let that guy do whatever he wants until it becomes a problem. I was, uh, <laughs> I was a little, little puzzled at that nugget that Chase threw in there about where uh, I think it was uh, Gonzalez himself that said, you know, the coaches are trying to get me to hit the ball in the air more. It's like, why don't they get you to try to do exactly what you did last year for 56 games? How about that? Anyway, all right, that's my answer as far as a hot take. <sighs> I don't really have one. Um, my hot take is that Jack Washburn's this uh weekend is in the weekend rotation and might become the Saturday guy. That is my hot take. I don't believe I don't have stock on Drew McDaniel Island. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I will uh I will say my hot take is that Jack Washburn becomes an integral part of this rotation. Big Packers fan, Jack Washburn. Someone will pick up that joke. All right, here we go. Sydney Allen checking in here. Is it time to bring Rick Pitino to the SIP? Oh, buddy. Uh, he would enjoy Oxford. He would enjoy the scene that comes with that. Uh, Rick Pitino, Uh His only flaw is that he trusts too much. That Rick Pitino. Look, I don't know anything. I think crazier things – Keith could do crazier things than give Rick Pitino a call. Um, I don't necessarily see it. I don't think Rick Pitino will be the next basketball coach in Oxford whether Ole Miss makes a move this year, next year, whenever. Um, but, I mean – I don't think he's that old, and he's just been around a while. I'm about to look That – we're going to get our IT department on this in real time. Uh, Rick Pitino is 69. Okay, he's not young. We could get five, six years out of him, I guess. I don't know. I mean, he looks younger than 69 years old. Nice. Um, So, I say no, but I don't hate the sentiment. That would be my answer to that question. How about that? SB, SC Bilbo checking in, I think is this? that's what this says I don't understand internet names what happens more this season Bianco gets ejected for arguing or are outfielders actually making assists so he's asking if Ole Mrs. outfielders make an assist at home correct me if I'm wrong but I don't believe we had a single assist at the plate last season from an outfielder oh whoa I'd have to go back and think about that well actually no I wouldn't I couldn't remember that even if I tried so I'm going to take your word for it. I don't remember any assists. Ole Miss was not a very good defensive outfield last year. I mean, it was two hitters and then an infielder playing center field. So that wouldn't doubt that at all. I'll go with outfield assists because I think if Justin Bench, as we saw with opening day today as the center fielder, they're going to be a much better defensive outfield. And Mike doesn't really get ejected for arguing anymore. Uh, I don't think he loves paying the fine. I think he's a veteran guy that gets a little bit of a longer leash, but, you know, for as angry as he gets at certain media types, I'd say Mike doesn't really get thrown out of game. So I'll go with the assist in the outfield. But it is a decent point. Ole Miss hasn't had a really good athletic outfield really since that Omaha team with Bosfield. There were some okay ones with Woodman in center, but you know, around him, you're talking all three. Um, that was kind of the last one where you were like this off this outfield is a defensive asset for Ole Miss. So they haven't had that in a while. I don't think they'll be great this year, but I think they'll be okay with McCants and Wright and bench and center if that sticks and you know i mean kevin graham no secret is in left field because of his bat but he's not an awful fielder i mean he's not offering you that anything thomas dillard couldn't so anyway i i think there could be an advantage though when you get to td ameritrade in omaha i say if when if they get to td ameritrade in omaha it's a huge ballpark that's kind of different than any other ballpark than any other team plays in the sport until you get to omaha and so having a fast outfield is an advantage Uh, i remember a Boss Field couch, I think, that it first game against Virginia that changed the course of that game. Ole Miss ultimately lost it, but it really kind of saved their bacon at that point, that uh, opening night, I believe, in 2014 in Omaha. So um, I'll say an outfield assist. I think they'll be better in the outfield than they've been in a while, but not necessarily great. And Mike doesn't really get ejected for our game, which is kind of surprising, honestly. Um, okay, here we go, keeping it rolling. Kyle Wilson asks, why do people in Texas – lot of people think Texas barbecue is superior to all other barbecue? Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi is not bad at all. It's a great question, man. I don't really know, but there is something to it. I've been into a couple of barbecue places out here where, where me, who is far from some sort of cooking savant, uh, is like, damn, there's something to this. And someone answered your reply to your question and said brisket. I think that might be Spencer Ritchie said brisket, my friends, brisket. I think that might be the, that might be the answer, but also had some burn ends out here that were, pretty incredible. So it might be in that neighborhood, but I'm not really sure why. I know every place loves to claim they have an incredible barbecue, right? Memphis, Kansas City. Uh, yeah, I saw Brooklyn got in on the mix. Um, I'm surprised that wasn't vegan barbecue. I remember that run in 2019. That was a wild time. Um, but I don't really know, but there is certainly something to it. It is very good out here. I, you know, I wouldn't say I've, experience on the scene of Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia barbecue. Look, man, you go anywhere in the south, you can find a hole in the wall barbecue place. It's pretty damn strong. But there is something to the Texas barbecue. I don't know exactly what it is, but I've walked into a couple places here and been like, wow, this is this is great stuff. I'm not gonna, you know, put it on the internet and say best barbecue wherever, because one, I don't care. Two, I'm not that desperate for likes. And three, I don't know enough about the barbecue scenes. But there is something to it. It is very good and I notice it more than you know, living in Mississippi and close to Alabama and close to Georgia my whole life. So I don't know if there's something to it. That's probably a uh, question for someone smarter than me to answer. Make sure I got through all of these mailbag questions and did not skip anybody's weird. Think we're through. Like I said, it was a little bit of a lighter mailbag this week. I think we did all of them. So congrats to all the participants. No, we have one more. Sorry. I missed one. Name one reason Auburn football, Ole Miss football, is not going to be bowl eligible going into the Auburn game. So, that's the game where they play the East opponents, then they get Auburn at home, and then the rest of the schedule is the West. I don't know. I think they should be. I mean, I guess you could make a case that, you know, Georgia Tech sneaks up on them. That's a weird non-conference road game. Kentucky's losable. But, um, you know, outside of that, I think they should be 6-0. And what happens from there is going to be fascinating. So, Uh, I guess the one reason would be Kentucky's good and comes into Oxford and gets a win or Georgia tech sneaks up on them. It's really about the only answer I got for you there. Um, All right. That is all the mailbag questions. I appreciate everyone participating in mailbag Friday. We got a treat coming up for you in Skybox Mark's NASCAR explaining the sport to me like I'm for. If you like NASCAR, it's gonna be awesome. If you don't, I promise you you'll get interested in it uh pretty quickly. So without further ado, here is Skybox Handy NASCAR handicapping guru Mark Harris. All right, we now welcome on Skybox NASCAR guru Mark Harris. a podcast I've been looking forward to doing it for a while. The second time we have chatted, but we've got a new audience, I would say, since then, probably a much larger audience of people tuned in since skybox sports picks you people hear me fumble through that ad read at the top of every podcast this is the brains behind skybox's nascar operation which i remember when i first heard of you guys i was like how the hell do you even bet on nascar and rob was like trust me this guy's awesome you need to get him on the podcast and explain not only nascar but how you wager on nascar and i was like i'm all in what's up how are you my man
2: i'm good man i'm uh i'm we're we're four days away from the daytona 500 so um you know that's that's the biggest race of the year nascar starts with uh the super bowl uh of their race so i'm i'm heading down there uh tomorrow and i'll be there all weekend so i'm i'm excited
1: that's awesome so to, to, i could have this wrong i remember from last time that's something you and your family have done for a while don't you go to daytona pretty much every year
2: yeah so i'm only about an hour and a half north of daytona uh my dad started taking me when i was young like 03, 04. Um, and then when I became, when I got into high school, um, I, I haven't missed a, a, a 500 cents. Um, I go down every year, like tomorrow night, I'm going down by myself just cause, uh, they got some qualifying races an hour and a half. Um, so yeah, I haven't missed a, a of 500 since 2012. Um, and you know, I've been, I don't plan on stopping anytime soon.
1: That's awesome. So, we'll run through your background. Some of I'm sure some of the listeners will probably remember from the summer, but probably some new ones in there too. You were from Jacksonville. You were a college you played college football, did you not?
2: I did. Yeah, I played D2 ball over at the uh, University of West Florida in Pensacola.
1: Okay, that's what I thought. So, football player, how does a football player become passionate about NASCAR?
2: So it's funny. So uh, I actually went to my first NASCAR race before I suited up in pads and played my first football game. Um, I was like four or five when I went first NASCAR race, but I always loved it. It was always like a side passion. Um, even though I'm only an hour and a half north of Daytona, which is like the Mecca of NASCAR, I don't, I didn't really have any friends that were in a NASCAR. Um, so it was always kind of a side thing. And then when I got older, Uh, I really dove into it and really loved it. And then when I was in college, um, I I was introduced to the the gambling world. Um, You know, I knew so much about NASCAR and I just loved it. I watched it every week. And then I I found out that I could wager on it and I'm like, okay, this could either go one of two ways. It could be unbelievably profitable or it could be so bad that I'm not gonna have, I'm not gonna be able to watch NASCAR again. Um, and so, you know, this was like 2015, 2016. Uh, I just would throw five bucks on an on an outright winner, long shot, or ten bucks, whatever. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I've always just held on to it for my whole life. Is, you know, I, obviously I love football. I'm a huge Jags fan, uh, born and raised in Jacksonville. Um, but to be honest with you, NASCAR is like – if I had to choose football or NASCAR, I would choose NASCAR. I know that sounds absolutely crazy, but I would.
1: That's awesome. And so it's funny. You got the wheel going up in the shot. You actually have an iRace after this. Like you are NASCAR through and through. We got on the Zoom. You're like, let me remove this wheel. And I was like, absolutely not. The wheel is staying in the shot. You have an iRace after this. And so like, if, if that doesn't evidence enough that you would choose NASCAR over football, I don't know what is. I don't see any football helmets behind you. It's strictly NASCAR wheel. Maybe get the helmet going. Oh, there's one in the background. We got a Jags helmet. So have you ever yeah. wore the Jags helmet while racing?
0: <laughs> uh, you know what?
2: Some people, you know, if they, like, stream on Twitch, they'll wear, like, a stupid helmet and it's real – uh, so no, I will not stoop that low. But maybe, maybe as a joke, I might throw it on.
1: So not only you mentioned, so you mentioned, you know, liking NASCAR, you getting into college, you getting into the wagering world, and putting the two and two together, and being, like, oh, I can bet on this. It can go one of two ways. Well, now you're working for a handicapping site, raking in money doing this as the actual house, and that's what's so fascinating to me about what you guys have going on at Skybox in a number of different ways. Is We have millions and millions of people that bet on all different kinds of things and wage on all different kinds of things. And the reason that industry continues to operate there as it is, is because we're all idiots and we all lose. But then there's people like you and Skybox who kind of figure out how to do this one smartly, responsibly, and two, three are good at it. And so there's probably a lot of real estate from the first time you put five bucks on a long shot because you like NASCAR and you like betting. How did you become a gambling sharp when it came to NASCAR? What happened?
2: So at, let's, let's go back to Skybox. So he runs all – he has algorithms and he's big right. space and all that. Um, it's, there are some guys out there in the NASCAR wagering world that, that do run algorithms. However, they're, it's all about knowing the product and knowing the equipment and knowing the driver that I don't think hard statistics will do anything. But when I first started, um, it, it, it was like I said, it was more of the long shot deal. Um, and I would, you know, I would read articles about hand, like NASCAR handicappers and, and sharps, quote unquote, and I would read who they were on and I would just blindly throw it. Um, and then I, I think the reason why NASCAR is, and I'm, I'm going to revert back there, but I think the reason why NASCAR you can have an edge as a better is because Vegas and some of these offshore lines makers have no idea what they're doing. Um, You know, they'll, they'll, they'll put some guy that's, and it goes both ways. They'll put a long shot in my mind that has absolutely zero shot of winning the race with way worse odds, lower odds uh, than a guy that won two weeks ago. Um, And so then, then, you know, there's matchups and there's props, you know, top three, top five, top 10. You can bet Ford, Chevy, Toyota to win the race. And, and so I started seeing these lines and I'm like, I would see it and I would see the odds. You know, it would be plus 120 for Chevy, plus 150 for Toyota, and then plus 250 for Ford. And I'm like, well, the Fords have been running great all week. The top four qualifiers are all Fords. I know they're going to be fast. Why hasn't Vegas changed this line yet? And so when I started really digging into that, then I, I realized okay, if I can exploit these lines and exploit these odds, I think I have a pretty good shot. And I'm not saying that I'm definitely not perfect every week. Um, I was just texting with Skybox um, a couple of weeks ago about how we we're going to market the new season. And I was going through back through all the weekends and trying to find weekends where I swept or, but there was a stretch from about July, the middle of July to sometime in August where I lost every single weekend. Um, But, but that just, it's just going to happen. Right. So I would lose four weeks in a row, but then there was a time in October where I won, I profited six weekends in a row. Um, But the, you know, people, people say, and I might be getting ahead of myself, but people say, stick to your units, stick to your algorithm, be consistent. That's how you're going to beat the books. And so I'm a big believer in that. you got, you got to trust your experience, trust your confidence, trust your picks, and also stick to your units.
1: Yeah, I remember us talking about this last time. That was the fascinating aspect of it was – it's like in a sport like – I mean, any other team sport, football, basketball, baseball, you name it, there's all these statistics available, and that's what goes into these algorithms, right? I mean, I'm not saying DVOA is what you base like a – a football bet on but like there's so many advanced statistics in any of these team sports to where racing it makes sense right like there's no hard statistics really in racing like I get that guys are faster and slower on different tracks and things like that but it very much is just following the sport and knowing the sport like it's not like a you know baseball probably the whole Moneyball thing probably prove that baseball is kind of loosely a math equation in some ways, but like when you're racing, that's not the case because the variables change all the time and there's all this kinds of different shit. And so it's fascinating that like you found a niche in what like the square who does football does. Like he thinks he follows the NFL and he's probably going to be good at game. Like again, look, if you follow every aspect of the NFL, you're probably going to be okay. But like, it's not algorithm based. And like, you've turned that into actually like what, how to beat the system, I guess, to say in NASCAR, because, Like you mentioned, you just have to watch it every week because it's so different week to week. There's no actual concrete algorithm. But at the same time, like, how long did it take you to get confident in the fact that, like, oh, I actually am good at this. Like, I'm good enough to do this as a handicapper. I'm good enough to profit long term. Basically – Going on your own gut is short selling it, but just going off of your knowledge versus some formula, which is kind of what everyone is used to when it comes to sharps and pick sheets and all that in your kind of normal team sports. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah. So I don't know exactly when I started really believing in myself. It was probably my senior year of college, and um, you know the year after that, um, where I realized you know I had a little bit more of a bankroll and I could I could you know up my units a little bit, um, but uh, 2020 when COVID hit, um, I would, or maybe it was late 2019. I would send my picks into a group me that we call it. We've, I've talked about it last time, Carissa Thompson fan club. Um, and it's a bunch of guys that, you know, skyboxes in it, um, send a bunch of algorithmic picks. Um, you know, we talk some shit a little bit here and there, but I would send my picks in there. Um, and, you know, it kind of, kind of stuck a little bit. And so Skybox reached out to me in 2020 when, during the COVID, COVID lull. And, uh, and he's like, you know, how would you feel about coming on and, and we can get your picks out, we can market your picks. And I'm like, I don't even know how to track my picks. Like I wasn't tracking anything. I just knew that I was making money. Right. Uh, and so when, when Skybox reached out to me and said that I was like, okay. Th- I might have like something legitimate here. So then I started tracking it like every single bet, every single odd, um, every single matchup. And I would track it with my records and my units. And and I'm like, wow, this is fun. This is cool. Um, And then, you know, it, it was cool to see how much money I was actually making, like historically going back and tracking all my picks So I would say probably halfway through 2020, you know, July, August was when I really was like, this, this is cool. This is fun. I like this. It's camaraderie, right? We can, I can shoot. I have, I actually have another buddy uh, named Jake Elrod. um, And he's kind of come on as like a silent, silent handicapper with me and I'll throw ideas off of him. um, And he'll tell me, okay, you you look a little stupid here that, that line is not, does not have that much value. Um, but you know, I I have a good support system and, and we have a lot more planned from here. We we plan on, you know, merchandise and, and stuff like that for, but that's, that's down the road a little bit. But anyway, uh, about 2020 was when I really, really saw that that this could be something cool and special.
1: Let's just get into it too. Because I know you guys want to, like, you've got the big season coming up, your package is coming out in a couple weeks. What is your approach, without divulging the dark secrets, of how you approach a particular week? Because I know there's different tracks, there's different types of racing. When you sit down on a given week, what are you looking for and kind of where do you find your strengths in actually wagering it? I guess the dumbest way to ask this, how do you bet on NASCAR?
2: Yeah, so I want to back up a little bit to your first question. Um, This year there's actually a brand new car. In NASCAR. Yeah. Yeah. So it is totally different uh, that, that some of the drivers were comparing the old car to a car that was built in the seventies. Um, so all, all, basically all of my knowledge about the equipment is thrown out the window. Now we still have the driver, we still have the teams, and you kind of have an idea of how much money they've really put into it and which teams are going to be top tier and which teams are going to struggle still. Um, so you still have that aspect to it. Um, and to start with week one, Daytona, um, the, even if you, you know, even with the car that we've been racing since the seventies, you, it would still be just a shot in the dark because they race so close together. They can all wreck and underdog can keep up with the draft. So Daytona is a different animal. Uh, Daytona is, you know, I would, I take, I usually take about 10 units and I set it aside for the 500 because it's just such a big race. Um, and so I'll lay all 10 units down on, you know, five or six different drivers, um, and hope for the best, um, with this new car going into week two, week three, week four, week five, the good thing we haven't had practice and qualifying since, uh, 2019, but we're getting it back this year. And that is big for, for NASCAR wagering because you can see, okay, who's got, who's got speed early this week. Uh, who's, who's not doing so hot, um, but it's really going to take us probably – I made some notes here. I, I said three to four races uh, in my notes. I would, I would say maybe four or five, six races to really understand which teams are going to – you know, which cream is going to rise to the top. Um, but so Skybox and I decided that we're going to send out all of our picks for the first few weeks for free just to make sure that, you know, what we got is still going to be good, a good product. Um, so, yeah I wanted to touch on that with the new car um, there's a bunch of different pros uh, to the new car, and we can get into that later, but um, why don't we go into you know the different types of lines or or we can go into uh, you know how would I approach a, a regular weekend or wh- wherever you want to go
1: yeah, for sure, so like just normal weekend like car aside just from your typical kind of strategic approach, and I know it's kind of different with the new technology, but like what are you looking for and like what are you? What are you betting? Like, is it a lot of top tens? Is it outright winners? What are, where are you finding the most value? How do you approach a given week, you know, kind of equipment aside?
2: So I find, uh, I find the most value in matchups. Okay. Um, I look at equipment and then driver history basically, and how they do on that track probably within the last three to four years. Once you go past that, it's, it's kind of irrelevant because a lot of things have changed. Um, but Matchups where I find my most value. Now, matchups are usually in the minus 110
1: range. Okay. Uh,
2: And now that we have practicing qualifying back, Vegas will release odds the day of qualifying. And then after qualifying, they will adjust their odds. So you can either get burned or you can be sitting pretty um, after qualifying. And then it'll stay that way until the race. So when I approach a normal weekend uh, with practicing qualifying, they always release the outrights. Uh, just like golf, they always release the outrights before anything happens for that week. Usually Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, they'll throw the outrights up, and I'll I'll start looking at that and say, okay, Vegas thinks this guy is going to be fast this week, and he thinks this guy is not going to be fast. Um, And I kind of correlate that with what I think is going on in my mind. I'm saying, okay, I think Kyle Busch is going to be fast this week, but Vegas thinks he's going to be a 10th to 12th place car, and I think he's going to be a 5th place car that's where I would find value. So if Vegas thinks he's going to be 10th to 12th and his top 10 odds are even, say, for example, that would be a massive bet for me. That would, And I have units, one unit through five units, but uh, that's kind of what I'm looking for is, okay, what does Vegas think they're going to do with that this driver is going to do for this week? And then what do I think they're going to do? And then I will take, you know, after that, then I'll look at the matchup odds and the top three, top five, top 10. Um, and usually I'll wait and I wait until after practice, at least to make my first matchup bet. Um, but practice and qualifying will tell you a lot. And like I mentioned earlier, Vegas looks at that. That's one thing that they have to look at because if they didn't look at that, they would get absolutely burned. They would get so burned, but there's certain things that they don't pay attention to. Um, and I would say, you know, the the 10th to 20th place car 25th place car they don't necessarily care about. Um, they won't really change the odds a lot. And so I, I love to work in that middle ground there. Um, drivers that most people probably had never heard of like Tyler Reddick, um, Anthony Alfredo, Justin Haley, they're kind of in the back, but, uh, bubble Wallace. I know a lot of people have heard of him just because of the media, but you know, there are a lot of guys that are in that 10th to 20th range is where I like to target because I feel like Vegas is only worried about the Chase Elliott's, the Kyle Bushes, um, the Kyle Larson's he's a former champion. Um, so yeah, I'll, 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 I'll take it any and all information that comes my way. I will, I will put it in the memory bank and then try to apply it to what Oz Vegas puts out.
1: So that's fascinating. The last part of that you said in particular, because like it's such a unique like sport, like, in football, like when you have like a bad beat or a line is three and a half and a team scores late to win by four or something like that, you're like, "God damn, those fucking guys in the deserts again." That doesn't sound like it's necessarily the case with NASCAR. It's not like those dudes got us again. Like it seems like it's a little—I don't want to say more of an even battle, but like, do you, do you like the average NASCAR better probably doesn't look up like a football guy and go, "How did they know?"
2: Well, no. The answer, the ultimate answer, is no, but. <laughs> uh there was a race last year that i can recount recall and it was i had a, a, a max play on anthony alfredo to, it was a matchup anthony alfredo to finish in front of josh barry i think josh barry was filling in for somebody and it was an awful equipment you know mismatch and it was a road course and anything could happen on a road course like dude could get spun and they wouldn't throw a caution and your race is over and it was literally the last lap of the race. Anthony Alfredo was running in this inside the top 10, which never happens for him. He's running like eighth and he gets turned on the last lap. No caution. Josh Berry is in 32nd and he comes and passes him and wins them. Well, I lose the matchup on the last lap. So that would be an example. Okay, that,
1: a, that makes sense.
2: Yeah, that note. So yes, there are bad beats. Um, but from, a, from a, a Vegas standpoint of how did, they, how did I lose that by the hook? Like right. that that obviously doesn't happen. Um, but there's definitely, definitely bad beats, that's for sure.
1: Okay, so let's get into it as far as it this year and kind of get in the car a little bit. But first, you so that's fascinating because I didn't actually but I was talking to Scott Box before the season or whatever, and I was like, Okay, how do y'all want to kind of roll out the NASCAR package? He's like, Actually, we're not gonna roll out the package to the end of the month. We're gonna be giving them away for free for a couple of weeks, and I was like, that's interesting. And I never really asked questions like why I was like, "All right, whatever, whatever you guys want to do. That's definitely new car driven. Like, as you just alluded to, which is fascinating to me because I would have never thought about something like that. Let's start there because I don't know if you've known since the last time we did a podcast, I am now a racing expert and my credentials are that I watched drive to survive on Netflix. All right. Um, F1, they had this whole deal where they're having a new car this year and I know they have minor technology changes every year, But I think this year sounds major to where it's a new car. Is that similar to NASCAR? And when is the last time they rolled out like a completely new car? How does that work?
2: So let's touch on F1 for a second. I am by no means an F1 expert. I'll flip it on on Sunday mornings and watch it. I I know more than probably the average American, definitely. But, yeah, like you said, they change their technology every year. Um, Nothing ever stays the same. They're very intuitive. They look forward. They're always looking for the next and best and greatest. Um, NASCAR, they they changed their – we're on the generation – we're on the seventh generation, quote-unquote, for NASCAR. Um, and so, you know, in, in 2017, I believe, they're 17 or 18, uh, it was a new car. And then from 11 to 16 was a car. And then from 10 – I'm sorry, I'm going backwards. 10 – to probably 1995 i want to say 96 somewhere in that range
1: wow so it Uh, varies in terms of when they decided to change it a lot
2: yeah so what i said at the very beginning this car is totally different and totally new like they some nascar drivers were explaining the next gen car so it's either the seventh generation or the next gen there's a couple ways you can say it I'll, i'll call it the next gen um before the next gen you had drivers explaining what the old cars were and they claimed that the technology hadn't changed since 1970. And that was like crazy to me. I'm like, okay, there's, we had digital dashes last year, but they were more talking about the chassis and the parts and the, um, just the technology behind it. Well, this car, and we can start at the craziest thing that's in my mind is it has a rear view camera. Like the there's a, there's a mirror on the top like any other car would. It's very long and, and skinny. But then on, to the right of the dash, like where your speedometer would be, to the right of it, there is like a foot-long screen inside the car that has literally you can see right behind you. And so the reason they did that is because with the new car, the visibility with the spoiler in the back and in the back window, you couldn't really see out. Like you could see blurbs, but you couldn't see you know, definitive objects. So they put a screen in there. Um, Instead of having like an H, H uh, pattern shifter, it's now a sequential shifter. So you basically first gear, then you pull down second, pull down a third, pull down fourth. Uh, Instead of having four gears, they have five gears. Um, The tire, the rim is going from aluminum or steel to aluminum, or maybe vice versa. The tire is going from 15 or the rims going from 15 inches to 18 inches. Um, the tire is going to be wider. Uh, there's only instead of five lug nuts, there's only one big lug nut. So they're, they're basically changing every single part, even though the wheel, it's called a rack and pinion. Um, don't ask me what they had before, because I don't know. The only reason I know this is because it's all new and they're all explaining everything to us. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, everything has changed about the car. Uh, and so when I was talking to Skybox about, you know, I, while I am still confident in my ability and they're they're still the same drivers, the same owners, the same teams, the same relative amount of money going into these teams, I still feel confident in my ability to find the disparity in, in Vegas lines, but at the same time, it's going to take me at least three or four or five races to really figure out if I, if I have an edge now the edge will come back, whether that's, two races or eight races, everyone's going to, and everyone's on the same playing field, even Vegas. So if I can figure it out before Vegas and I have a tremendous advantage, um, but I, I just,
1: that's called marketing one oh one. I love that idea. <laughs> Hell yeah.
2: Um, but I told Skybox, I'm like, listen, I I don't want to, I don't want to be behind this paywall and me really have no idea, you know, what I'm putting out there, if that's a good product or not. So let's give it a few weeks, see how it's going. If, you know, if I feel confident enough to really feel like I'm figuring it out, then then we'll go back behind the paywall. But, yeah, that 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 was the main reason.
1: And so you can sign up now, promo code NASCAR, you get 30% off. Those will eventually be behind the paywall, correct? And then you will just start raking in the cash because you guys will figure it out before Vegas.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's the plan. Um, one thing about the futures – so I put out a futures card. I don't believe it's gone out yet, but I think it's going out tomorrow. Skybox handles all that because um, he's, he's just got that mind that works like that. Um, but the good thing with NASCAR is the futures odds typically stay up most of the year uh, for the championship. Um, but some of the futures picks um, you have to get in before Sunday. Um okay. And so that's one thing that I will tell people while we're giving out our week to week picks for free for the first, probably four weeks, I would guess. Uh, some of the futures picks have to be in before Sunday, the 20th. Um, and so that, that's going to stay behind the paywall because I do, I do feel like, and I'm not going to give away my secrets, but I do feel like I still have a good idea of how, well, I'm going to, I think, I think veterans are going to uh, excel in this season. I think the veterans are going to be able to adapt. They've seen a few different cars. So I felt confident in my ability to do that, to pick, pick futures. And I also found some Vegas lines where I thought they were pretty questionable, um, and I thought I could exploit them. So that'll that's still behind the paywall for the time being, but they got to be in uh, with DraftKings, FanDuel, Barstool, all the different apps. they got to be in before Sunday the
1: 20th. There's so many wild aspects about NASCAR to me where when I was actually reading up uh, in preparation for this interview today, just, and by that, I mean, I just Googled 2022 NASCAR preview at work like five times and read the first two pages of stuff that came up on Google. I figured out about the new car. And then on top of that, every, like every other one I read was like, and you're about to hit a stretch of 36 races in 37 weeks. There's no weeks off in this sport, is there? That's something that threw me off. You were racing every week for basically three quarters of the year, take me through that. And does anyone take weeks off? Like do the guys up toward the top? Can you, how does that work? How do you pick your schedule? Uh, no picking.
2: The guys that drive every week, uh, the pit crews that, that travel every week, there's one weekend off. Um, and that has been, a, yeah, it's been a, it's been a hot topic recently. Um, so last year we had the summer Olympics or maybe it was in 20, we had the summer Olympics and NASCAR was, has their TV contract with NBC on that part of the year. So they actually got three weeks off. Um, and that was big because that had never happened in NASCAR before. Like, you know, the NBC deal had never had NASCAR and the Olympics at the same time. So they didn't have to worry about it. Well, obviously we've seen with the winter Olympics it's on all day and all night long. Right. Right. And so that was like crazy. Like NASCAR could take three weeks off and still work. Um, and then last year, I think there were two off, two off weeks. And this year, just the way that the schedule, you know, we're going to a couple new tracks. Uh, we're taking away a track here, not a track there. Just the way that the logistics worked, uh, there's only one off weekend. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's Mother's Day in May. I could be wrong. But I know we're racing on Easter. That's a big one. Okay. And some people are a little upset about racing on Easter. I'll go to church on Thursday, still be able to watch Sunday, So (laughs) no problems over here.
1: So even like a Kyle Larson, just say he racks up, because I've read that he he won 10 times last year, which is the most since one of those Jimmy Johnson runs. If he racks up four wins in the first eight races, even a guy like that's not taking a week off?
2: No, no, you can't. No, week off, yeah. Um, You know, I've never thought of that. Just because it, it's never happened, I don't think. The only the only way people, drivers take off is if they're hurt or, in Jimmy Johnson's case, in 2020, he had COVID, so he had to get a substitute driver. Um, but yeah, injuries, you know, even like births of their children. Like Joey Logano just won the, Bud- or the Bush Clash, the exhibition race, and he had a baby the next day. And it's like, okay, if you're not going to take off an exhibition race because you're Life and labor, uh, you take off anything. So yeah, no, I mean, the the way the playoff structure is, you you have to run every race. You if you don't run every race, you'll be left in the dust. Um, and you know, even guys, you know, they have sponsor responsibilities. Um, you know, they with their pit crew guys, their owners, like they just have so much responsibility that if they took a week off, it, it would. It just, it's never happened. I mean, it just doesn't happen. It's very interesting that you asked that question because now that I'm talking about it and I'm thinking about it, that is crazy. 37 week or 36 weeks out of 37.
1: Nuts. I couldn't believe that.
2: And they're in a, I mean, so we go from Daytona to Fontana, which is out in California a week from Sunday. Um, and then we have kind of a West coast swing. So we'll go Phoenix, Las Vegas, and then we'll come back to the East and go to Atlanta you know, these guys, I don't think they stay out in, on the West Coast. They might stay out there for a week, but, you know, there's four races on the West Coast. They'll come back to the East Coast and Thursday, fly right back out. Um, but, yeah, that – yeah. I mean, that, and even, like, football, you got you – got, you, you could be at home for three weeks, you know, could have three straight home. In baseball, you could have a couple home series in a row, be home for a week or two. Um, but, yeah, NASCAR, there's, there's only one home track, and it's in Charlotte. Um, and we go there twice a year. So you're they're on the road 34 times a year.
1: Which is nuts. That's wild to me. So as we get into this 2022 season, and that's what made the, the wagering aspect of this fascinating to me, is where Vegas is all over Kyle Larson to repeat. And he won this past year. And I was like, oh, Kyle Larson, I know that name. That guy's had, we'll call it a mishap on the iRacing uh, during COVID when no one else had anything to do and it was only amplified. And I actually read, got down a rabbit hole. I read a, like a feature-ish story, I would say, on him. I can't remember which NASCAR writer wrote it, but it was about how he's kind of grateful to have a second chance or whatever. But all that shit aside, he kind of blossomed into a superstar last year. could you call it? Was that kind of a coming out party for Kyle Larson in terms of his status in the sport?
2: That's definitely a coming out party. That's a perfect way to say it. Um, when he, I mean, he's only like 26 or 27 years old. Um, when he was coming up through the ranks, he was a dirt racer and, uh, dirt racing, in my opinion, I don't know much about it. I'll go to the track every once in a while and I'll watch it. I enjoy it. But from what I hear from people in the industry is dirt racing is a, is di- more difficult than pavement racing. And you can kind of see why if you just watch a couple laps, I mean, they're sideways, but anyway, they thought he was like the next best thing since Jeff Gordon. Um, and when he got to Chip Ganassi Racing, which Chip Ganassi Racing, they've won championships. Um, they're, they're a pretty respectable team. But in NASCAR, I would say they're, you know, if you have top tier and then the next one down would be Chip Ganassi. That's who Kyle Larson first started racing with. And he won, I think, four or five times, maybe six times in his career and maybe four four years, let's say. Um, but he can never really be that superstar that everybody thought he was going to be. And then COVID hit. And then he had this mishap. And everyone makes mistakes. And, you know, obviously that should have never been said. But it happens. So he gets fired. He gets let go from Chip Ganassi Racing. And it, we, I thought, personally, he was never going to step foot in this sport again. I thought, cancel culture is going to get on top of him. There is no way that he's ever going to drive a car again.
1: And just to, in case anyone like missed it has been living under a rock during the COVID, during the black lives matter movement in the summer, he said the N word on an eye racing broadcast. And so when you were like, i just, when you said, I didn't think he'd ever set foot in the sport again. It happened during that. Not that it should ever happen, but like it happened right at the height, height of all that going on, which just amplified it to the nth degree.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was, without getting into too much detail, it was exactly like you said, right in the middle of, you know, when you turned on the news, that's what was on. Um, and yeah, it, 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 it should have never been said, but it happened, whatever.
1: Yeah. Sorry. So, I derailed you. Go ahead.
2: No. Yeah. I'm all about giving people second chances. I, you know, we all make mistakes, blah, 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 whatever. We're getting into a psychology session or therapist session here. <laughs> so what Kyle Larson did when he got fired is he, He went, so while NASCAR wasn't racing, uh, a lot of these short tracks were, short dirt tracks. And that's where he came up in the ranks. And so he would fly all over the U.S. I mean, West Coast, Midwest, East Coast, Southeast, North. I mean, he was everywhere. And it seemed like every time I pulled up Twitter just to see what was going on in the NASCAR world, it was Kyle Larson wins the dirt race again. Kyle Larson wins this. Kyle Larson wins. Kyle Larson got into a new car and won the car he's never been in. And so at that point I'm like okay maybe he's not falling off the map cuz these NASCAR riders these beat riders so even some of these TV people form like current NASCAR drivers were retweeting it and endorsing him and getting behind him and I was like okay may, maybe he will come back. And then uh, the hammer got dropped and he went to Hendrick which Hendrick Motorsports is arguably the number one they may share it with Joe Gibbs and Penske but they're the top Chevrolet team. Uh, Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, Dale Earnhardt Jr. All these guys race for Hendrick Motorsports. Like it is top tier. It's, it's Bill Belichick, Tom Brady in their prime. That's what they are. Um, and, and when I saw that, I'm like, okay, this, this guy is either going to show us that he is just an average racer or he is going to be, you know, Jeff Gordon, or he's going to be on his fast track to Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson. Um, And then out of absolutely nowhere last year, he comes out and wins the second race of the year. And everyone is just like mind blown. Like you you don't hop into a car after being out for a year and a half and just win in your second race back. That's crazy. And then he went on to win 10 and the championship. And I mean, in that 38 weeks or 37 weeks, whatever it was, he went from this guy, this might be this guy's last chance to ever get in a car. Two, he's gotta have a ride until he's 50 if he wanted it. Cause he can, I mean, he dominated in the races that he won, he just dominated, blew the brakes off of people. Um, and I, I would I would definitely put him in superstar status right now. I mean, it only took a year, but I I I would I think he's superstar for sure.
1: That's wild. And so as you approach the year, you talk about the futures aspect of it, but like the wagering thing aside, like. Who, as you look into who could win the cup and win the whole thing, who, how, like how many drivers do you think realistically have a shot? That's probably the best way to go about it.
2: So let's start with last year. Going into last year, I would say probably uh, realistically four to seven, four to eight. Um, this year I'd probably say that number's a little bigger, maybe ten, okay. that have a legitimate shot. Um, the way the playoffs are set up, uh, like Kevin Harvick, for example. In 2020, he won nine races and uh, missed out on the, the the final four. It's basically bracket style. Um, so 16, 12 each week or every three weeks, they chop off four at the end. 16, 12, eight, and then the final is four. And Kevin Harvick won nine races that year and didn't even make the final championship race. Yeah. So, with this new playoff format, um, it is definitely possible for someone to squeak in, maybe be the 16th best driver. That's a little unrealistic, but let's say the 12th, the, the driver 12th in standings, squeeze into playoffs, and then maybe have a win at Talladega, which is a wild card just like Daytona. They might squeak into the round of eight and then just have three unbelievable races and get into the championship four and then something crazy happen. That is very possible. We haven't wow. seen it yet. Um, but it it is it's gonna happen, and I, in my my prediction is it'll happen where someone you know will be fifty to one, you know seventy to one in Vegas's eyes before the season, and then they end up winning because of the way this playoff format is set up.
1: I probably I should have gotten to this before this, but it doesn't really matter. Take me through the structure of each week because in. At Formula One, it took me about four episodes of Drive to Survive to pick, to gather it. But hey, it's what, 20 drivers, 10 teams, two drivers for each team. Take me through the structure of NASCAR races each week, because don't they have some variety? Like, can't guys get into a NASCAR race versus the lower one? Take me through how that works.
2: So Formula One is uh, pretty different than NASCAR. Yeah. There's not very many similarities. Um and to be honest with you, you've, you've probably seen this. Formula one is big, big, big money. Like yes, huge... it's like
1: a rich person's hobby in terms of investing yeah. and stuff like
2: that. And when like an F1 person looks down at NASCAR, like, look at those hillbillies. Yeah. <laughs> but uh but yeah, there's a lot of structure in, in Formula One, and they also have F2 and F3, which is like their feeder system. Um I always I always relate it to baseball and, and how they have the farm league and single A, double A, triple A, MLB. Um so there's, there's, you know, the, the maximum amount of cars that one team can have is four. They can't have more. They can certainly have less, uh, but they can't have more than four. Um, there's a couple teams. There's Hendrick and Stuart Haas that have four. So Haas and F1, they're actually pretty good in NASCAR, which is surprising. But Yeah, they uh, get
1: shit on in that dock. They're not big over across the pond, but better here.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, Kevin Harvick drives for them. Tony Stewart. Actually, Tony Stewart bought into half of Haas, so it's Stewart Haas racing. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're very respected in the NASCAR space here. But, um, yeah, so there's, there's, there's teams. There's, there's owners. Usually it's one owner. But now we've seen Michael Jordan come to the sport with Denny Hamlin. Uh, so they're, I'm assuming, 50-50 owners, I would assume. Um, and then you got, like, Pitbull coming in with uh, a guy named Justin Marks. So there's a little bit more of a business structure to bringing in, uh, you know, outside investors or outside personalities. Um, But that we could go down that road later. It
1: makes sense, right? Like a a Haas was kind of fucked in F1 because they're never going to have the money or the capital of like a Mercedes or a Ferrari or something like that. So where you're talking about, like it can fluctuate, you can bring in a big money investor and all of a sudden everything changes. There's a little bit more parity and opportunity in that sense.
2: Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I even between the, the top tier teams that are spending 20 to $30 million a car for a season, that's nothing compared to F1. Um, and then you got guys that can probably squeak in at the bottom of the totem pole. They can probably squeak in for five, ten million 10 million, uh, to run the cup series. Now it gets less expensive as you go down in the Xfinity series and the truck series. Um, but that's, I want to touch on this. That's one thing that they think the new car is going to help uh, is lower the cost to go from, you know, 25, 30 million down to maybe 15 million, 20 million. Um, All of the, and I'll be really quick about this. All the parts on the next gen car are coming from NASCAR picked suppliers and manufacturers. So every team, no matter if you're trying to spend 50 million or 5 million, you're getting your parts from the same place. Um, which that should add more parity. Um, NASCAR, in my eyes, already has the most parity between its competition and all of motorsports. Um, but going from a from a money perspective, this new car is supposed to be able to make it more affordable. Once it got announced, I touched on it already, Michael Jordan, Pitbull, uh, Floyd Mayweather actually has a car entering Ooh. 500. That's just crazy to me um but yeah the, the 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 sports growing and they're trying to lower costs and and uh you can see these outside investors coming in and wanting to be a part and and look at it from a business sense
1: okay how many teams are there
2: um so this weekend at daytona there's 42 cars entered i would say there's you know four to five teams at the top there's another four to five mid-pack. I'd say fifth, 12 to 15 teams, yeah. No more than 15 teams, I wouldn't imagine. Now, this week in Daytona, there's probably a few more. Like Floyd Mayweather's only bringing one car, so that's one team, but it's also one car. Um, and then you got, you got a lot of teams that have two and three drivers, uh, three, two and three cars, um, And then you got now you've got this new team called Colleg Racing. I'm a big fan of Uh, they're going to have an all star car. So they're going to have one car that runs the full season for points in the championship. And then they're going to have a second car that they're going to rotate drivers through, rotate sponsors through. And it's just going to be like a fun go out there and have at it boys type car. So there's a lot of new stuff happening with this new car.
1: Okay, so like on a week-to-week basis, like what qualifies you for the big boys to where the where you sprint cup? Is that the one below? Like how do you, like you mentioned 42 cars this week. How does that get decided on a week-by-week basis? Because like golf, you have PGA Tour, Corn Ferry, but a Corn Fairy Tour player can Monday qualify for a tour event. It doesn't really make a ton of sense for him to try that a ton. How does that work from the structure of who's, who's on what level?
2: yeah so that does not happen in nascar um, nothing that you do in the lower series results wise will give you a card per se to okay. get into the series it's all you know the, the the team owner or whoever is making the decisions at that, that team can go hand pick you and say okay i got this sponsor i want you to drive this car with this sponsor and they'll bring you into the cup series other times the sponsor will be attached to the driver and so let's say let's use Monster Energy for example they're a huge NASCAR sponsor. They've stuck with Kurt Busch for like the last 5 or 6 years and whatever team he goes to they'll follow him. So if you have a guy coming up the ranks through the truck series, the Xfinity series and he's got a company behind him, a sponsor behind him that they're ready to throw 20 million for him to go grab a cup ride, they can work out a deal with any of the top tier teams and say okay, this sponsor and this driver they're going to come race for us. Now, NASCAR has their own Experience, quote unquote system. Um, Like you have to be 18 to race on the super speedways, which is Daytona and Talladega. Um, You know, I don't really know a lot about the, the require the minimum requirements, but I do know that you have to test a little bit. Um, You have to, you basically have to prove yourself and say, okay, I'm not going to go out here and make a fool of myself and wreck people and whatnot. Um, That's about the only thing that NASCAR has is just a minimum requirement of experience
1: okay so like do, do you have guys that like rich like say Floyd mayweather like three weeks in was like the hell with this are you in it for the season like what how is Floyd mayweather allowed to go straight to the top i,
2: I keep getting sidetracked there's a charter system and i should have i should have said this the first okay. time I,
1: no you're good How's, so how does that work
2: yeah so there's 36 charters and this wasn't the case uh before uh, maybe 2018 2017 I think it's fairly new. Um, In the old days, I say the old days, in the early 2000s, let's say that 50 cars showed up to Daytona to try to qualify for the race. NASCAR said back then it was 43 drivers. Now it's 40, um, but only 43 are going to make the race. And you, you, let's say that Jeff Gordon didn't post a quick enough qualifying time. That would, that never happened. I don't think, but let's just say in theory, he, supposed to fasten up qualifying time or he wrecked during qualifying he's not making the race so you have thousands of people that are coming here to support jeff gordon and he's not even going to be in the right the biggest race that nascar has so nascar found that flaw and before it really bit him in the ass they developed this charter system and if if i remember correctly they started off fairly cheap and at the beginning it didn't really work out the way that it was supposed to work out where the smaller teams that didn't have charters. So, okay. All 36 charters are locked into every race, no matter what, gotcha. right? They they get a, they get their fair share of the purse. Uh, they're locked in. They only have to set a qualifying lap. They're in the race. Um, and then anybody outside the 36 teams is called an open team. Um, and that's where you get the 42. So from the 30, 37th to 42nd spot, those are all open teams and they're, uh any six of them can four of them make it to the 500 because there's only 40 and so two of them are going home but the charter system guarantees that there's going to be drivers that those teams are going to have those drivers in the race now one more thing on the charters it started out and it didn't really seem like a good idea because you were leaving these open teams like it was preventing Floyd Mayweather from coming in and, and getting a team. It was preventing Michael Jordan from just running a, a one-off race with all the money he has, whatever. And then last year, maybe 2020, 2020, but it, definitely in 2021, there were charters, just the charter, not even the car, the equipment, the employees, just the charter was going for like 10 or $12 million. Ooh. That's when people were like, okay, this actually worked out because if you have that, and I'm sure they have contracts and pieces of paper, but, if you had that piece of paper that says, I own a charter, that is worth money. That is literally worth millions and millions of dollars. And and now you you have just substantially multiplied the worth of your NASCAR team because you have a charter.
1: Gotcha. So, like, a team with three cars has three charters more often. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, those last five, six spots to get to, like, 40, 42, is that through qualifying or do you just buy in on a weekly basis?
2: Nope. So, Daytona um, – they have single car qualifying. It's actually going on right now. I think. Okay. Yeah. But they matter. You know, I'll look at the results and that's all I need to know about qualifying. Um, but tomorrow night there's qualifying races kind of like heats. And so the people that qualified in an odd starting position, so one, three, five, seven, they'll be in the first heat and then two, four, six, eight, they'll be in the second heat and they run 60 laps and whoever, whatever finishing position, that's where you start the race. For the open teams, there's going to be three in each heat, and so the guy, the two that finish first in each heat of the open cars are starting in the race, and then the odd get the third guy out is out of the race. Um, that's just something unique to Daytona. Let's use next week in Fontana as an example. Let's say that there's two open teams. Well, there's going to be more than four. If there's less than four. Or if there's four or less, then they all get in. But let's say there's 41. So now one of those open teams is going home. It's all based on qualifying. Single car uh, qualifying laps. And if you don't put down a good time, if you're the 41st car, you're not racing that week.
1: So each basically each week has a, some sort of varying qualifying system to fill out the last couple of spots aside from the charters, Is that how that works? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's safe to say. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So, as we get into it, and you got Daytona this weekend, what's fascinating about NASCAR to me is it is a sport that has a lot more drama than you'd think of with a bunch of hillbilly dudes just racing fast each week. And your uh, Skybox Twitter account, Skybox NASCAR, entertaining Twitter follow. You need, to get, uh, you need to go follow that right now. You run that account. I, like, don't even watch that much NASCAR and then I'll feel like I'm in on the feuds just from the conversation that I'm getting secondhand from this account. It's like a – is that like part of the appeal of this sport is the, the beefs and everything? Like how much of an element is the, the rivalry and kind of the week-to-week banter back and forth? You get it to some degree in every sport. Like it kind of reminds sure. me of golf a little bit with the Saudi shit they have going on right now where it's a bunch of dudes just kind of either going at each other or saying dumb shit. Like how much of that is part of the intrigue of the sport?
2: So I want to say, I want to back up to the beginning of your comment. Yes, my Twitter account is something interesting. It's definitely different. (laughs) Uh, But that's kind of, that's kind of what I I want. Like I want, you know, I have my job and I have, you know, I'm wearing a collared shirt right now. I just got home from the office. Um, You know, I don't don't care if my name's out there, but I'm not about to go put some of this dumb stuff that I tweet out on my personal Twitter. Right. But (laughs) It allows me, and I made sure Skybox was okay with this because I'm like, listen, this this was a burner account before it was a NASCAR wagering account that I would just out on. And he's like, that's no problem. We'll we'll clean it up a little bit. We'll put a picture on there and a header, and you know, we'll make a bio, blah blah blah. But you know, I I basically just use it in the off season. It's just a bunch of dumb shit. You know, I talk about crypto, talk about the Jags a lot. Um, You know, NASCAR. Twitter beef, um, just any news that drops. Like I, I just, I just like to be free with it. And I actually, a quick story. I was over in Pensacola at the Snowball Derby, which is a, it's just a minor league race, but it's one of the biggest minor league races, and they sell out every year. And it's you know a week long. It's really fun. And some of the guys, um, or I'll, I'll I'll name drop them. They're they're cool. They're all over uh, Dale Tanhart and Chase Holden. They're garage guys. Um, they have like, uh, they partner with NASCAR, they partner with Hooters, um, and they have a, they run a pretty, a really good operation. Um, but obviously they have to keep their social media accounts somewhat clean. I mean, they're not, you know, they're not, they're having a good time and whatever and being entertaining our generation, but they surely cannot say some of the shit that I'm saying on Twitter. And so I want to keep it that way. I think it's fun. You know, I I don't, I, I do this on the side. I do this for fun um and you know i'll offend some people here and there but you know i'm not here to to you know make twitter friends right i just try to make somebody laugh here and there and so that was one thing that i made sure skybox is okay with was just you know this account just being something something funny and and interesting and something out of the ordinary
1: sure so as that goes in on like a week-to-week basis though like NASCAR allows fighting, which I am pro fighting. I wish, like, golf, we could maybe get some of the other sports in, which is awesome. Like, in terms of dram- dramatic storylines that have less to do with the racing, is there any of that that you have on the radar this year? Not that it has anything to do with, like, the gambling operation, but, like, who's beefing right now? That's a great way to describe it.
2: You know, that's a good question. Um, you know, I wish I had a better answer for you. Um, and I'm sure I will in the next uh, next few weeks i'll 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 tag you in something on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only thing I can think of was with the Bushlight class, which is the exhibition race just to to start off the season, Kyle Larson, defending champ, uh, turned down into a rookie and and wrecked him, and he was out of the race, totaled his car. Um They said they worked it out after the race, but if something were to happen at Daytona or next week at Fontana, and, you know, Justin Haley uh, turned Kyle Larson, it would be right back on, right? There's no, you know, something could start week two of the season and then it would, you know, come back to the surface in week seven of the season. But even though they said that, oh, they worked it out, they talked. No, 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 no. Um, I would say beef from last season, that would probably carry over. Uh, Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick went at it a lot last year. Well. Yeah, costed costed Kevin Harvick a win. He actually didn't win a single race last year. Um, and Chase Elliott, you know, in my opinion, was a little dirty, whatever. Chase Elliott fans would think Harvick's dirty, whatever. Uh, but then in the playoffs, so Harvick made the playoffs without winning a race. And in the playoffs, they're up at Charlotte. Well, uh, I can't remember who got into who first, but Chase Elliott was coming back behind Kevin Harvick. And Harvick was so scared shitless that Chase Elliott was going to wreck him. That he wrecked himself. And that was about the end of it because he looked so stupid because he wrecked himself. But my point is there's there's certain things that, you know, if it's that bad, they'll fight after the race right on pit road. Yeah. They don't, You know, NASCAR may not like it, but they're going to let it happen for at least a second. Um, and then there's certain things that maybe will go under the radar a little bit. And, you know, week seven, you'd be like, why is that guy so mad? And then you think about, oh, shit, week two, they got at it. They They both of them got up into the wall, you know. Um, so all all these stories are always developing. Some of them die out quicker than others. Some of them, some of them keep going, but that is one thing that you will find on my Twitter page is NASCAR beef. And I'm all about it. Bring me more.
1: And see, that's why I feel like I'm halfway in the loop on half of this stuff. Cause I just see it on Twitter half the time. So as we dive into this season, what's fascinating to me about NASCAR is different types of racing, like how 10,000 foot view. I know this week's pretty unique in Daytona, right? what are the different types of racing and how much does that vary throughout the year? Like, do you have just like your standard tracks and then you have a few one-offs that are different? How does that work?
2: So you have what NASCAR calls cookie cutter tracks and those are mile and a half tracks. They look like an oval, like a D shaped oval where the, yeah. the back straight and the front stretches is, is curved. Excuse me. Um, so those are NASCAR's cookie cutters. So that if there was anything considered normal as a track, that would be it. Um, mm-hmm. And then you got super, so that's called just a speedway, mile and a half. Uh, they're all mile and a half. And then you got super speedway, which is two miles or more. And so you got Daytona, Talladega, and then Michigan and Fontana, or I guess they call it Auto Club now, but it's in Fontana, California. Um, Fontana and, and Michigan are two-mile tracks, but they're, they're technically still super speedways. And then you got Daytona and Talladega. Then you got short tracks, which is anything less than a mile. So Bristol, Martinsville, Richmond. Um, those those put on some of the best racing, and in my opinion, the super speedways put on the best racing.
1: Is the, the one co- by me short track Fort Worth?
2: That's a cookie cutter, that's a mile okay, and a cookie half. Cutter, gotcha. like, quote unquote cookie cutter. Um and then you got short tracks with anything less than a mile, and then you have road courses. And before a couple of years ago, there was only two. It was, there was one in Sonoma, California, and one in Watkins Glen, New York. And those are the only two, and they go to them once a year. Well, now there's six on the schedule for next year, for this upcoming season. So NASCAR is really trying to hit a bunch of different tracks. They're, in my opinion, they're trying to get away from the cookie-cutter mile and a half. Um, and And I like it. I'm all for it. The cookie-cutter is what... Is given NASCAR this bad rap of boring races. Um, And there's every single year for the last three years, I would say, there's been less and less cookie cutter tracks. And they're trying to hit more variety and more entertainment, um, more parody, I guess, because when you go to these new tracks and these road courses, and these new short tracks, you know, you have no idea who's going to have the advantage and who doesn't. Um, you, you can look at other road courses and other short tracks to, to base your opinion off of and, and, and your experience and your, and your knowledge. Um, but from a true parity perspective, I love what NASCAR is doing right now.
1: Okay. Is the, uh, the, they're going to the uh, the track where they have the F1 race, right? Is that always been the case? Is that, what is, what does that count as a road course? What is that?
2: Yeah, that's a road course. So that is the one in Fort Worth is a cookie cutter mile and a half. Uh, That's Texas Motor Speedway. And then the Austin is Circuit of the Americas, which is where F1 goes, which that track is crazy. It's like two and a half or maybe over three and a half miles long. Um, And it takes over a minute to get around the place. And so last year was the first year that NASCAR went and it was a complete downpour. It was a shit show. It was they had to call the race actually mid race. Um, But NASCAR had rain tires and so they could race in the rain. But it got so bad that they had to call the race. They like said, This is so dangerous. This is, we're going to stop it. So I'm really looking forward to Circuit of the Americas uh, next year. Hopefully, it's dry and it'll put on a good show. Um, but some of the new road courses, they're going to uh, Road America up in Wisconsin, Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. Uh, last year was the first time they went up there. It was a huge success, like over 100,000 people there all four days. Um, they turned Charlotte Motor Speedway into a, a roval. Um, so it's 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 on a cookie cutter track, but the infield has a road course in it. And so they put a wall up in turn one. So when you come across the start finish line, you just take a hard left into the into the infield. And so it's a roval. It's a it's an oval road course or a road course oval. So they'll go through the field and then come back out onto the track and turn two, go down the back stretch, go through three and four in the oval, and then they'll do a little kink right before the start finish line and they'll start all over again. It's crazy. I know you're looking at. Yeah, I know
1: looking. that is wild. That's a lot. To, that's a lot to take in. And what's, I was about to ask you that though. Last week there was a preseason race in a football stadium. How does that yeah. shit work? A football stadium's like a hundred yards. What? How does that? How is that possible for a NASCAR race? Like is thing, going like 140 miles an hour, 150.
2: Yeah, no, not even. But if listen, if if I get to go in and I get really fired up about this stuff, and so if I like get that go, was
1: a dumb idea.
2: If I well, no, if I get if I get uh, talking too fast or talking gibberish or whatever, just stop me and be like, you're talking way too technical or okay. you're going way too much or whatever. But uh, the Coliseum. So yeah, we they race in the Coliseum. Now the the Coliseum is bigger than the, uh, a normal football stadium because it's it's an Olympic size stadium. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the old soldier field, but yeah. the soldier field that we know today is not the original soldier field. Um, and that was also an Olympic stadium. And so they're, they're, you know, they're bigger than hundred yards. They're probably 130 yards, 140 yards. And when you, if you look at a USC Trojan football game, they have those makeshift stands, right? And then when you have the stairs that go up to the torch, there's nobody sitting there because you wouldn't be able to see the football. Um, and so it's a little bigger than a, you, you wouldn't be able to do it in any other stadium in, in the U S um, there's not a stadium big enough. But for the actual product and, and what happened, they just they, NASCAR said they spent over a million dollars just on the track itself, um, and the, you know there there were there wasn't enough room for for a pit road in the infield, so they had the cars and the trucks and the pit stops outside the stadium, which was crazy. So the cars would like drive through the tunnel to get into the to get into the track, um, but they were going like I would say top speed no higher than seventy seventy five because awesome it was a quarter mile track. So think about a quarter mile, you could probably run a quarter mile in a sprint, you know, a couple, I don't know, less than a minute. I have no idea. Not me. I'm a little big for that, but I couldn't
1: um, drink too much for that, but I yeah, somewhere around yeah. that range. So They would, I mean, they would, they would hit the
2: gas and then as soon as they got the, the pedal all the way to the floor, they're sm- smashing the brake to try to make the corner. So, um, it was cool. Uh, not necessarily my cup of tea. Um, I'm glad it was an exhibition race and not a points race because it would have been absolute mayhem and the, the gambling on it would have not made any sense and I would have been heartbroken because I, I put a hundred bucks on Kyle Busch and he finished second. Go figure. Um, but anyway, yeah, it was, it was fun. I will say one thing and I made this in my notes. They, from a business perspective, and this is a, it's a buzzword in NASCAR right now, business. Like they, they want, they want business to be booming. They want money into the sport. You know, it's, it's, it's on its way up. Um, NASCAR taking a track and taking their sport to Los Angeles in the heart of Los Angeles, not even like Fontana. It's like an hour outside of downtown Los Angeles. They went to the Coliseum. They took the product to this gigantic market in, yeah. in LA. It's just like the Rams. Like they're not going to have these diehard fans, right? Like Jacksonville does. And you know, just Jack, just the people in Jacksonville are going to like them but they had this gigantic market where people were like, okay, there's a football team in my city. I'm going to watch it. And so they marketed the hell out of this race. And they said, we're going to take our product to LA. And it was the most watched exhibition race in NASCAR since like 2003, something crazy. Um, and, and kudos to NASCAR for doing that. But, uh, I just wanted to slip that in there that, uh, and they're going to try to, there's rumors that they're going to try to do like a street course in Chicago, um and a couple other places which just basically bring the product into these huge major markets and just get more eyeballs on the sport.
1: That's pretty badass. So as we you get into the season, we talked about like the playoff structure earlier. How does like the how do you look at the playoffs? Like do you look and try to find value in like a newcomer to make the playoffs? How do you kind of do the future aspect of like who can make like who makes the playoffs and who ends up ultimately winning this thing?
2: I actually um Sorry. I just got a call from my boss. Um, that's all right. I'll call him back. Um, playoffs. Uh, yeah. Hold on. We're going to have to edit this out. Ask the question again. Sorry. I'm. I'm You're,
1: good. You're good. Just uh, playoffs. How do you, like is there value in being like this guy will make the playoffs this year and stuff like that? How do you kind of look at that from a handicapping perspective?
2: So I don't actually think that there are lines out to if they make the playoffs, but I will tell you if they win a race, they're locked into the playoffs. So that's kind of where I would look at it and say, okay, do I think this guy's going to win a race this year and lock, lock himself from the playoffs? um i will say one of
1: there's more than 16 winners right there would be more than 16 playoff guys is that correct
2: in theory yes that has (laughs) never happened before. it hasn't happened yet since this playoff um there hasn't been more than 16 basically there hasn't been 17 there's been 16 but never 17 okay i i really don't know what would happen uh if that were the case but i will say that one of my most confident bets on my futures card is all the guy needs to do is win one race. The line is a half, a half of a win. So if he wins a race, it hits. If he goes winless, it doesn't hit. Um, And I'm basically betting on him to make the playoffs and I'm betting on him to win a race. Um, And so you'll you'll, you'll have to go subscribe to SkyboxSports.com. I hope that's the plug. I don't know what the website is.
1: That's what we in the biz call a tease. So last thing or second to last thing before I let you get out of here because I know you gotta run. I was yeah, doing a I was at my day job there. I can't remember if I texted both of y'all or just Skybox, but this lady I was interviewing was a big NASCAR fan, and I was like, Wait, and she has season tickets to the Texas Motor Speedway out here. And I was like, wait a minute, there's this one driver that this guy I know bets on every week that's favorite driver, Matt D. D de- sunk D de- as a na- name. I can't pronounce hit me with it, but it made me like the coolest dude in the room for like 90 seconds. She was like, you know about this guy? I was like, "Fuck yeah.
2: <laughs> Matt DiBenedetto. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately he did not win a race last year. Um, and he actually got fired. Uh,
1: Shit, what, or, damn, how, yeah,
2: well, there's a young guy that came in with okay. sponsorship and money and, um, and it was more of a long-term play, I think. And, and he, he doesn't, he doesn't bring sponsorship to the table, but it's funny you bring him up because he got a truck ride and the, the truck's hat just came in. And and we so, got the
1: hat right here. So you're on the merch team. How close are you to this guy? You got eyes on the inside?
2: No, I really don't. I've met him one time. Um, but it's a small team and they put out, um, You know, like they sell their merchandise on Facebook. That's how small they are. And so I just went up and and bought a hat. I didn't think it was going to be in uh, in time for the race. The truck race on Friday. Um, But I'm pretty fried up. It doesn't look like a hat that I would really wear. But um, speaking of betting on him every week, I haven't decided if I'm going to do that this year because the truck that he is driving uh, historically has been awful. They have had any success whatsoever. And I'm curious to see if he's going to bring any money to the table, if they have external funding that they're going to bring to upgrade the cars, upgrade the parts, get a little bit more speed. Um, and then, you know, I've been thinking about this over the last week, and then DraftKings dropped their truck series Daytona odds. And he's the fourth, fourth biggest favorite. So he's got the fourth lowest odds. And I'm looking at this, and this is a scenario where I disagree with Vegas. I'm looking at it, and and what Vegas thinks is, okay, they see a guy that's been in the Cup Series for the last five years coming down to the Truck Series, but they have no idea what kind of equipment he's in. He's in awful equipment. Now, he's still my driver. I'm still a fan of his. I'm still going to root for him. But there is no way that he should be the fourth favorite. There's just no way. It would be like in golf. There's more golfers. But it would be like – Fourth favorite, name it for for the Genesis this weekend. I mean, they're a heavy hitter, right? Right. It's just not gonna happen. Um, but anyway, it, you know, I could be wrong. I could be eating my my words right now. And he could have brought more money, and they could have bought all new trucks and hired a bunch of genius engineers. Who knows? Um, but I that's an example of me thinking Vegas is completely wrong.
1: Last thing before I let you run, I meant to ask this earlier: the money in NASCAR my favorite probably golf saying Kevin Kisner when he was asked about like, do you play to win every week? He's like, yeah, kind of. But like, have you seen what they hand out for 15? What are we talking payout wise on a weekly basis?
2: All right. So back in uh, 2017, they, uh, they stopped releasing uh, the purse money. Wow. There's rumors that, and I, this is my opinion as well, but there's rumors that it the sport was dying so badly that they did not have enough money to, you know, golf the person the players what fifteen million or something out yeah, here in Ponte. Nights, you know, the Daytona 500, you know, back in the early 2000s was probably the purse by 10 million, and then unfortunately I think it lowered, and so NASCAR was like, okay, we can't we can't show people that we're dying right now in 2007. Right. The economy is booming. We can't show people that we're dying. So they basically kept uh, – uh, uh, they went private, basically. So they they reversed. They they were public, and then they said, well, nope, everything's going to stay with us. Now, I would say in a guesstimate that – now, drivers have salaries. So that's one thing that's different than every other individual sport. They do have salaries. Um, I would say Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson – um, Kyle Busch, I'm saying they're bringing in 10 to 12 million, 15 on the high end, a year in salary. Then you got you know endorsement deals, probably another million or two. And then the way that the the payouts work per race, whereas a golfer, you know, you might have some expenses, some travel expenses. You got to pay your caddy. Um, you might have to pay your trainer, whatever it is. In NASCAR. I would I don't know this for a fact, but I think most of the money from each race, let's say they finish first, they get a million bucks. Um, I would say probably half, probably more than half would go back to the team um, to reinvest. Now, I don't know that for a fact. I could be totally wrong. I could look like an idiot right now um but it's but, salary
1: based so like even like the 35th car is a pretty good gig in terms of like you know your average american and the salary they're raking
2: in oh yeah 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 if you're if you're last, yeah you're at least making probably half a million three-fourths of a million you're, you're yeah you're yeah you're chilling okay. um i up the other day so the truck series drivers they google the this the the article that i read estimated that the top truck series drivers make a million 1.5 a year. Um, and so I thought that was, you know, if, if, you know, you can make a living and they only race like 23 times a season. Um, you can, you can make,
1: you're, you're raking in seven figures if you're at the top of it.
2: If you're at the top, I mean, you gotta be like, like, um, for example, Ron Hornaday, that's an old name. Um, he would, I mean, he dominated the truck series for probably five, six, seven years. And so the, he had sponsorship coming and endorsement deals and they knew that he was going to win. And they knew that people, you know, there's hundreds of thousands and I don't want to say millions, but there's hundreds of thousands of people that will watch the truck race and those sponsors get those eyes on that truck and they know that truck's going to be at the front of the field. That's tremendous exposure. So whatever someone is willing to pay a driver to to run up front, I mean, the skies, I think, You know, the sponsorship is more than a million bucks, but I would say between salary, endorsements, and then purse money, yeah, they're making a million to a million five in the truck series at the top.
1: Okay, gotcha. Speaking of making money, check them out. Skybox sports Picks, Skybox, Skybox NASCAR at Skybox NASCAR on Twitter. If you're ever wondering if to get into a new sport to make money, Skybox NASCAR is certainly the way to go. We got the Daytona starting up this weekend. You got to get out of here. You're hopping into an iRace car. You're putting in this wheel into action here in about 10 minutes or so. Are you going to win your race?
2: uh you know it's at fontana uh we'll see but that does remind me i am gonna fire this thing up
1: (laughs) Uh, awesome matt harris excuse me mark harris the wheel is throwing me off i love it mark harris (laughs) skybox nascar we will check in a couple times throughout the year if you're up for it
2: yeah man let's do it i'd love to be back on man anytime
1: all right that is our show if you made it to the end i really appreciate you making us a part of your day We'll be back on Sunday. Colin and I getting back in the swing of things as baseball season is here with some Sunday recap. Probably talk to and Ray too. Get a little hoops check in, some big picture stuff there. But uh, loaded Sunday show, and then we're going to hit the ground running with baseball season. I'm really excited about it. We'll have plenty to talk about um, from that. So hope everyone is having a great start to the weekend. Hopefully your weekend is well underway. Listen to, something, uh, listen to this with something cold in your hand in a place you enjoy. And we will catch up with you on Monday.